Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, for crying out loud. Stop dying. Stop dying, I stopped dying a long time ago. Stop dying, Mike. All right. You know what? Somebody uh, 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 emailed me. You know, we're always dying. From the moment we're born, we're, uh, we're dying. We're just headed towards dying. Yeah, <laughs> that's but, a pessimistic way of looking at it. Yeah, that's a rough one. I've always thought like yeah. you grow into like twenty one, actually twenty six. Your brain's growing, then it's just slow deterioration. But that's like so one of those, was, that's like one of those statements you you learn in like high school. <laughs> it's like the first yeah, revela- from the, one of the first revelations you have. <laughs> I think it's on a Uriah Heap record. Right you're, from the <laughs> moment you're born, is. you're dying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So sorry I'm late, gentlemen. I was on the phone with the great Jared Valentine, uh, oh. partner of Allo Treatment Centers, and we were they're excited about some stuff that we're doing. Okay. This new Excellent. place that we got. It's really cool. Excellent. We're all broke, but it's a cool place. Oh, my dad said he saw you on some television commercial. Yeah, because we got this new place now. We got to fill it. It's ah. 17 beds right on the cliffs in Malibu. It's actually a real Malibu treatment center, but with, <laughs> but with Bob Forrest in charge. It's not good. Oh, uh, yeah. He goes, he, he goes, he looked like someone who'd be a friend of yours. You, you, do you know him? And I go, that's, yeah, that's just Bob. I mean, God, how many times have we talked about Bob? Come it's on. so weird. I haven't seen it. Here's the thing. If you've seen it, you're in a good zip code. Because do you know that television advertisements go by zip code? Uh, nah. You can, you can pick where the commercial is shown. So it, I haven't seen it. I watch television all the time. So obviously I live in a shitty zip code. <laughs> 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 like, that shit is blasting in Beverly Hills, I'm sure. No, he's, wow. he's weird. I didn't know he's that. only a few he? miles from here. Where is he? He's in Fountain Valley. He's only a few miles from here, from where I live. Wow. Yeah, I live What's, about I live about two and a half miles from the house I grew up in. So where where in Fountain Valley? I didn't know it was running Orange County. There's so much competition in Orange County. What are we running a television commercial in Orange County for? Uh, probably because he's got a big bank account. No, what? Um, <laughs> he, he's what, uh, he's right by the high school. Oh, it is so. That's eventually what digital strategies for uh, sales will do. You'll only send to people with bank accounts over two hundred fifty thousand. <laughs> They'll be the only ones that receive the television commercials. I think that's probably the smartest way oh, to do America it. America is so sick. Isn't it's it on certain? Isn't it on society. certain channels? Isn't it on just certain channels? Like say, I don't know. I think you choose the. You choose the. It's like a. I don't know. Evan did it, but you choose the networks you want it on. So for some reason. Hi. Now, this will tell you something about why I'm off Instagram or whatever. Addicts tend to watch a lot of news. Oh, ironic, <laughs> right? Really? Isn't Give that crazy? Gives them reason to stay depressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why, do, why do we watch the news so much? Because we just You do, huh, Mike? You watch the news constantly. No, 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 I don't. I don't watch the news at all, man. I swear to God, I don't. I, I, I... I fall into this like uh, thing where I get on 
you know, on Facebook and, and start commenting and stuff, but it's like crack, you know, you have to He like, spent the, the day doing math. I can have to stop <laughs> doing it. did math today. Oh, school. <laughs> no, no yeah. it's a dumb thing. I'll no, Chuck posted like some the thing that Julia posted, who's her, the drummer for the Smut Peddlers, and they posted this math problem with this kid holding snow cones and fucking shoes, and the, you had to look really hard and... It'll, oh, get your, it'll get your goat. Yeah, it was like a math problem. and Everybody got it wrong, and it was fun, though. It was and if you're a good hours. addict, you'll pig dog it until until someone gives you the why and the how and explain this shit, because there's a hundred <laughs> different ways to do it, and 99 of them are wrong. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, gentlemen, I have a new book coming out. What? And it's, it's called There's Something Terribly Wrong With Us About America. And I, you know, I don't talk about it too much, but one of the things that I stumbled upon is standardized testing. So the moment standardized testing, so maybe it's not millennials that I'm angry with. Maybe huh. it's our schools and our education system post-standardized testing. So what they've done, a bunch of research that was in the New England Medical Journal and all these psychiatric journals is how young people don't know how to think and what to think about, right? Hmm. There, there's some theories that it comes from this standardized testing that was under W. Bush, who got made federally official. And all kids are really taught is how to memorize things and not even think about things. Not Just problem solving. Memorize. Not even question. Or You know, part of learning is questioning. So one question leads to the other, as far as I was concerned. So when they... I don't know. One of the things I was kind of obsessed with and I always been obsessed with is Abraham Lincoln. And what we're taught is Abraham Lincoln was assassinated by this crazy guy. But as you ask one question, another question comes. Oh, they didn't like the Civil War. Oh, they were they were rebel sympathizers. Oh, they thought Lincoln had changed America forever and they wanted retribution on him. That there were many people in America that felt that way. So one question leads to the other, and you learn. That's how you learn something. Right. If they just tell you the only things you need to know is what the name of the person who killed Abraham Lincoln was, what the theater that he was shot at, what, 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 the, what year the Civil War started, what year the Civil War ended, you mm. learn fucking nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You've learned, you've learned Jeopardy answers. There's no it's extrapolation. There's I'm no... telling you, it's true. And so all the parents that are home, like Chuck and Mike, that are doing their homework with their kids, don't be overwhelmed. All they're being taught is what to memorize. They're not being taught how to learn. Yeah. They're not being taught the beauty of question that leads to another question that knowledge creates. They're just simply being taught to memorize things. And so that'll be in my new book, The Wonderful, Lighthearted, There's Something Terribly Wrong. <laughs> Wait a second. It, it's going to be or it, or it is? I thought you it said you wrote it. It is in the it. book, but the book is still being edited. It's well, called they do retain, they, they retain they retain the stuff a lot better than I ha ha did. Well, Mike, you were smoking angel dust in like seventh grade. <laughs> seventh grade. I was seventh 12 grade. years old. Seventh grade. I was going to say second grade. It, no. In, in I was seventh 12. grade, Mike Mart was smoking angel dust. I had my first bad acid trip when I was 13 in eighth grade. Okay, we're and not going to listen to your experience. <laughs> yeah, you should be able to retain stuff. Even yeah, I'm sorry, but your education. <laughs> I didn't even drink fault. alcohol until I was 16. You're shitting me. 
Me, no. me and Peter Case have this in common when we were like really young, like in eighth grade or something like that, man. We had bad acid trips, man, and like almost thought we were never coming back. And I was like, You're kidding me. You did that too. I was playing I was playing on the basketball team, the golf team, and playing little league when I was in eighth grade. Oh well, you were How like about a, you, Chuck? You, what you were, were a little Republican. No, by seventh by seventh grade, all that stuff was going on. Not acid yet, but we were smoking a bunch of weed and drinking whenever we could and Finding pills in people's uh, cannabinol. You remember cannabinol? No, no, you don't remember cannabinol. It was horse tranquilizer, man. Everybody had it on the beach. Have I told the story of my basketball career? Oh, I was supposed to be an NBA. (laughs) I was supposed to be an NBA basketball player. You guys didn't know this. Hey, you know what? I want to ask. Okay, go ahead. But, but do you want me to? Do you want me to ask my question first, or do you want to talk about the base, the basketball first? Your because question first. Go. My question is: How come you've never talked about the radio station that you had at Golden West College when oh, you were so met, great when you when you were like at Golden West College not, getting your associate arts degree that you never got? I never got, but I did get my Social Security money and my dad's pension thing. Right. What was so, the radio station about? How did you get so on the radio station? It was station? just went through the college, and you know, the, it was Golden West College, and you know, it was in Huntington Beach, and it was the seventies, and so everybody was in like fog hat, and I was in the <laughs> fog hat. There, there were rules of the radio station. It actually wasn't even. It was just these two doors that opened on the quad <laughs> area that had a PA system with turntables, right? But it played throughout the school. Right, right on the PA All system. the little walkways. And the, you know, they had speakers in the roofs of the walkways. So I got to be on there hounding them, saying that there's no new wave. That's what we were calling it in 1979, new wave. There's no new wave. We have to have new wave on the radio. And they weren't even playing ACDC. Like, that right. was too hard. They would play, like, The Dead. They played Mellow Zeppelin. Yeah, Mellow yeah, yeah. Zeppelin. I remember. You, you forget a term, Mellow Zeppelin. People used to use that as a reference. Like, no, no, no. We're not talking about Whole Lot of Love. We're talking about Mellow Zeppelin. Yeah, we're talking about Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Mellow not Zeppelin. Rock and roll. Somebody should have a band named Mellow Zeppelin. <laughs> And do only mellow Zeppelin it would songs. Suck. <laughs> I think I think it, I think it's you and Mike. <laughs> no, it's the rain song. This is the summer of my smiling. The second season I am to know. You are the sunlight in my growing. So little warmth I felt before. You what never about, heard rain like, song? Like, I, I don't know that one, but it isn't, isn't it go, going to California one of their ones? Going to California is a Mellow Zeppelin song. There you go. So anyways, I finally got my two hours of on the Golden West, not radio station, radio station. And I just started playing germs and public image and, you know, what a guy 18 years old would play in 1979 if they had half a brain. So the guy who ran the station didn't even go to school there anymore, but he had long hair, like one of the surfer dudes, you know, long ponytail in the back. He comes by to talk to me and goes, oh, Robert, you can't keep playing this stuff. We're getting a lot of complaints. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) College kids. So so I turned the mic on with him talking and I was playing music and you could hear him talking, saying we had to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> was it a consensus or was the hippie just not that's a, fucking, that's a good hey, trick 
I think a lot of people were not ready for new wave at Golden West College in 1979. <laughs> that, well, Chris Hansen was. That's where you met Chris, Chris Hansen. Hansen was ready. That's where you met and Chris I, Hansen. And I know that down at the beach, I mean, K-Rock in 1980, I know, yeah. 79 and 80, I know that that's, I mean, that was ACDC and Tom Petty and all the new wave stuff. Yeah, and everybody forgets that Tom Petty was considered new wave. Damn the Torpedoes was a new wave record. Oh, hell uh, yeah. Yeah, Pretenders, was. the Pretenders were new wave. There was a it's lot of all right wave. if you love me. It was all new it's wave. It's all right if you don't. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. so, so yeah, and then I, eventually I got kicked off and then i worked for the newspapers and then i fake uh did some outrage you know that everybody's upset that bob forrest can't play the new wave music on the radio it was quite a to-do there for about a month i'm surprised you didn't end up with your own like wally george type thing where you just like i went to wally george one time it was fun yeah i'm surprised you didn't end up doing something like that that would have been good yeah, no, I I felt the Orange County Rebellion. I could have led some sort of rebellion, but I Hollywood <laughs> was calling me. <laughs> but let's go, let's go even further back than that. When I was thirteen, so when I was thirteen, I was the best basketball player in the Coachella Valley. Now right? the basketball story, excellent. Yeah, I was the best. I was the best, and <laughs> and there's no doubt. Like I could play. Here's how good I was. I would take two players and play you three on five and beat you at school, right? Wow. And we would bet. we bet on basketball, like, you know, 50 cents or something. And so, so then I went to Lakers basketball camp, and Paul Westfall, which is, he went on to be the NBA coach of the Phoenix Suns. He was a, a college player at USC. He was my personal, like, he helped teach me how to run point guard and all this kind of stuff. And I went to Lakers basketball camp in San Diego two years in a row. And I was this shining, like, you know, point guard. The great white hope. The great white hope. I didn't want to say it, but I was. So so now you got to understand, I'm 5'9 and three quarters. I always say 5'10. I'm probably 5'9 and a half. But I was like 5'7 then. (laughs) I'm fully grown. Two inches <laughs> since I was 13 years old. So in, in my freshman in high school, I'm on junior varsity, right? And I start JV basketball as a freshman. But I'm really small compared to the people I'm going up against. But still, I, can, I, I know how to move a team around, and I can still shoot, and I can penetrate. So, um, so JV and my best friends that I grew up with playing what – was AAU, now it's called something else, but they were all in varsity, right? They were like a year older than me, they're in varsity. So I'm thinking sophomore year, I'm fucking playing with my boys, right? And this yeah. is in probably 75, 76. And I in my sophomore year, I'm not even starting on JV. Because <laughs> now I'm like four inches, five inches shorter than the people I'm playing against. It's it was horrible horrible and it's what led to my drug addiction i'm sure of it not the molestation chuck not the suicide (laughs) of my father not that my sister's my mother none of that factored in the reason why i i clung to heroin was because of the horrible disappointment of not being the basketball player i should have been (laughs) (laughs) well it it didn't i guess it, it didn't roll up that way 
How about and, the fact that when I was like still going to Golden Best at West at 19, I was thinking about trying out for the team. I was like, you know what? Still a chance for me. <laughs> if, I, if I could stop smoking weed and stop drinking Bacardi and Coke, maybe I could fucking play basketball. Yeah, I could sink a few, you know, if I wasn't drunk. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, I, 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 I never would have met you if you would have played basketball. I never even would have seen you play. So I, I'm kind of glad you did. I would have never been a heroin addict if I played basketball. No, you would have been that. a horrible alcoholic drinking. Yeah, know. I would have been an alcoholic, but I'd be in the Hall of Fame by now. You'd <laughs> <laughs> be retired saved your, for 20 music years. Music saved your life by introducing you to heroin, basically. Oh, God, it was so painful. <laughs> that thing when the coach. When the coach told me to stay after, you know, the first like week of spring training or whatever for JB, this in my sophomore year, he's like, um, Bob, stick around afterward after you take a shower. I want to talk to you. And I was like, Yeah, coach. <laughs> you know, we got, you saw that kid the, the last few days, right? And I was like, Yeah. And it was another point guard, right? And he goes, I just want you to know he's going to be starting. Mm. And I was like, you're kidding me. I remember that. All that punk rock. All uh, that late. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you, asshole? Don't you know how good I am? I like was not. I didn't accept it graciously, Chuck. I'm sorry. Didn't go well. I'm totally sure. And then I started refusing to run drills, which you have to run from the end line to the free throw line, back to the end line, to the half court line, to the, three, to the other free throw line. We, we call those end. suicides. Yeah, suicide. I just refuse. I just jog them. Because this motherfucker doesn't know how good I am. He's going to let this fucking freshman start over me, Chuck? Over oh, yeah. me? Well, you showed him. So I'm going to drag ass led, at practice. That's definitely what led to the drugs. Did you get, did you get kicked off the team for being Yes, I did. I think I, I think I was getting kicked off, and I said, fuck you, I quit. You can't fire me, I quit. You can't fire me, I quit. <laughs> so, But I was still on the golf team, so I still got a jacket and everything. <laughs> I remember how important jackets were. You guys didn't get jackets, did you? Oh, I did. You did. For, I well, did. I bet, let me let's let's talk about Chuck. I want to know Chuck's high school years. Did you? I bet. What did? What sports did you play? Wrestling? No, I, I played uh, water polo. Water polo. That's a yeah. man's sport. Water polo and swam, and I my In sophomore the sense year that they grab your penis under the water. Man, no, no, sport. no. Water polo is the most. Tell them, Chuck. Tell it, them. It's 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 pretty. It's, rough. it's it's a rough. It's a rough sport because you're you're not protected like you are in other sports. They've and you're swimming the, the whole time, by the way. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I was in amazing shape, but like like what happened with you? Where by the time I hit 15 years old, uh, I was of course I was doing drugs and drinking at that time. But by the time I was a sophomore, I was playing varsity and lettered my sophomore year. And then my junior then year... how I, did you end up on heroin? Because I, my junior year, I wasn't allowed to play. And my senior year, I left school at Christmas Why vacation. Why were you not allowed to play? Because of weed? The same thing that happened grades. to you, Bob. Disappointing water polo career. There you go. Grades. Grades. They, did, they didn't... They, uh, you know, they said your grade point average is too low. You had to have like a... A one point five or something. You had right, to have like, I remember. You had to have a solid D average. Oh no! So you, and how much younger are you than me? I would have graduated in eighty five if I would have graduated. I graduated in seventy nine, so I'm six years older than you. The GPA was two You had to have a two or better to play sports. Oh, that's rough. 
So they lowered it for your generation. <laughs> and you can you can even bet. clear that bar. Well, I don't I don't even know if they use grades anymore. They just say thank you for showing up. Here's your next level. <laughs> but the reason in comparison it takes a 4.13 to get into Yale. But but let me tell yeah, I know that. Yeah, so let I, me I tell you let me tell you though why I bring this up. Because I had this great therapist, the great Roland Kim, one of the greatest doctors I've ever known. And he zeroed in after me working with him for years. He said, I think going from very affluent to poverty was most traumatizing to you. Right? So there was this collapse of things, right? My, my thing was I wasn't playing basketball like I thought my whole life since I'm eight years old I'm going to do. And by the time I'm a sophomore in high school, I'm not playing basketball. Simultaneous to that, I'm going from this kind of affluent lifestyle in Palm Springs and L.A. And my dad's company went bankrupt. And we literally went from living in Palm Springs to living in a mobile home in Milpitas, California. I don't know if you know where Milpitas is. So, so I'm off the basketball team. I'm living in a mobile home with my mom. My dad's dead. That was more traumatizing, according to my doctor, than being sexually abused when I was eight and seven and eight and nine years old. Mm. So I, I think that we, I think we overemphasize sexual abuse in childhood to be the end all be all because it is so shocking and terrible. But there's a lot of other horrible things that can happen to you as a child. Well, most everybody I talk to that are that are clients that are younger, <clears throat> their biggest deals are divorce. Yeah, their parents divorce. Yeah, I mean, when their parents divorce, they go, "My, you know, my parents divorced when I was eight, and that's when I could do what I wanted, and that's when I did what I needed to." And it's just, I, it's so sad. I didn't grow up in a divorced home. My folks are still together, and I knew a lot of people. Uh, everybody I I drank and used with in seventh and eighth grade, they came from you know broken homes. But you you know the overemphasis of of sexual abuse or all of that. There's it's like. That's like the bing, 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 bing. As soon as somebody says that, like, oh, that explains everything. That explains why you can't think straight and you're a drug addict and you're a prostitute and you're a con artist and you're a liar and it explains everything. No, it doesn't. Things are no, not you that don't simple. Have, you don't They're have not to have that, that simple. to be those things. I am. And I'm not. I'm not <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm living. What about the fact that each one of those things could be just your weak will, feeble mindedness? Like, I, I do believe that people. You give me the opportunity to be lazy, I will be lazy. So we have a society that says, oh, poor baby, be lazy, right? Right. Well, we're we, coming out of that right now. Aren't you seeing that in your treatment centers? I've got well, clients that were, for the last four weeks, five weeks, were, were not getting dressed all day. They weren't shaving. They weren't taking showers. Now we've got them coming to the center in small groups and doing things. And they're having a hard time even adjusting to doing what they were doing right. a month and a half ago. So it's like, but yeah. What because would happen to people like that in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s? Nobody gives a fuck. Be a hobo. Who cares? My dad used to love that term. Be a fucking hobo. He used right. to say, you're going to be a hobo, Bobby. What, do you want to be a hobo? <laughs> instead, we've, we, instead of we codependentized, if that's a word, now we just let, so. let our grown adult children be hobo, hobos in our house. 
Hobos. They're fucking hobos. Hobo-sized. <laughs> we've hobo we've been hobo hoboitized. <laughs> hobo we've we've sanitized being a hobo. <laughs> rather than let, rather than kick them out and let them sleep under a bridge and be a hobo like our parents did, we just let them live in our house and be hobos. What's your son do? He lives at home? No, he's a hobo in our house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I, start saying that. I, me too. I just home. thought of it. That's a your, good your kid they is basically hobos. a hobo. You know that, right? The only thing he's missing is a hobo stick with a hobo bindle. Yeah, well, <laughs> going up. And you don't have to get the train every day. Oh, he's missing. He <laughs> gets the handkerchief with all his yeah. property one minute. On a stick. That's how we should send them out when they leave ACA. We should put all their shit in like a polka dotted bandana <laughs> <laughs> with a stick. There you go. Train stations that way, fool. Hobo. Hobo. That's so cool. There used to be a, and see, now it's politically incorrect, I'm sure to say hobo. There used to be a woman on television named Hobo Kelly. Do you remember her? Yeah, sure. When I was a she kid. was a hobo. Yeah. And she was. A, she had a children's TV show. Yeah, she had a, a little lamb. Remember the little hobo. lamb? The little lamb puppet? Yeah. The, <laughs> Chuck, I'm telling you, it's true. There was a woman named Hobo Kelly. Man, that six years who was, was something else. was a hobo. Else. <laughs> And my dad used to always say, if you didn't do your chores or you didn't do your homework yeah, or whatever, like, oh, my dad said, you don't want to be a hobo, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It now always we have a whole cool. generation. We have a whole generation of kids that are hobos. Wait, we it's don't not call funny. Them hobos. It's not funny because you're right. Because the idea of I'm just going to get a van and travel is not much different than I'm going to jump a train and just travel. I just want to see all the United States yeah, at ground hobos level. Hobos became hippies. Yeah, hobo, hippie, uh, punk rocker. That's that's how it works. <laughs> they're, yeah, but... all, they're all cultural, <laughs> cultural things of being completely non-functional. Right. <laughs> like you were hobo, then it became sanitized a little bit. Hippies, hey, we're hippies, bro. Do you have any place to live? <laughs> no, uh, you're a hobo. No, we're hippies. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Mike Martin and I met. He didn't have a place to live. I lived in an office space that I was six months behind in my rent. And we were punk rockers. We weren't hobos or hippies. We weren't homeless. Or hob we weren't homeless. We were not hobos. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> punkers. But actually, we so, were hobos. So now we really, America I slept in your has... garage a few times, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, Keith lived there. Yeah. King Keith, of the road. Keith, <laughs> Keith put... Uh, we we got we went to behind a carpet store that did you know put new carpeting in houses and hauled a bunch of carpeting to my house on Fountain and Gardener and then we cut it and fit it on the garage floor and Keith just had a carpeted garage floor house. Nice, <laughs> nice. And uh, you know, these garages were good office space. Me and Anthony lived in an office space on Hollywood and Las Palmas. Um, the great Billy Preston died this week. I wanted to give a, a testimonial to him. So Billy Preston died. Two people texted me. Oh my God, Billy Preston. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, Little Richard. Little Richard. Died. And then it, yeah. it, it immediately reminded me of Billy Preston. And when when Billy Preston died, which he was one of my favorite musicians. Um, I thought about Little Richard because they're kind of intertwined. Billy Preston, and Little Richard. Do you know why? Mike, no. do you know why? No. Because Billy Preston 
was Little Richard's 15-year-old boy toy organ player when uh-huh. he met John Lennon and Paul McCartney in Liverpool in 1962. Hmm. Oh, and changed Billy, the face of rock and roll. He actually, uh, Little Richard, created the Beatles. The Beatles wouldn't yeah. be anything today if it wasn't for Little Richard. Well, I mean, they were he was definitely no. a contributor, but Little Richard was basically, you know, he had a... He had this little boy that he had told the mother, like, I'll look after him. <laughs> oh, oh he was and the first Michael Jackson, too. And boy, huh? did he. Yeah, I'm saying, you know, everything old is new again. So I wonder <laughs> if little Richard ever contacted Michael Jackson to say, hey, you know what? I have a little experience <laughs> oh, with this. Oh, no, come on. <laughs> you know I, what I, I mean? I just love the fact that the guy had balls big enough to ride shotgun. I mean, the, the fact that he acted the way he acted, looked the way he looked, and was fearless in such a racist, separatist society. And it took a lot of guts. To a lot of guts. The way he did it. And that's, but here's that's, the other thing. How about the fact that he wrote Long Tall Sally and Good Golly Miss Molly in the same week? Nice. I mean, that's crazy. Wow. It's fantastic. I mean, it's on the same. I have a picture of the. I have the first album, the original album on mono, on a, in a record. Uh, you know those picture record mount things in my mm. bathroom because I just love Little Richard. But immediately when Little Richard died, I thought of Billy Preston, poor little fifteen-year-old, and I tried to find it. There's this picture of them in a motel room with two beds. You know, like a motel has two beds, <laughs> and Little Richard's just sitting there on bed, like, oh, darling. And poor little <laughs> Billy Preston is just like, holy shit, you guys don't leave this room. <laughs> <laughs> it was the original Tiger King, too. Dang, he did so poor much Billy first. Preston. Uh, so, but, but, you know, God, just think of, like, uh, the world has had all this shit going on in it, but didn't have tens of millions of victims. It just didn't. Billy Preston went on to, after being molested by Little Richard to make some of the greatest records ever. And he was both in the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. If he <laughs> sat around a rehab center feeling sorry for himself, do you follow my logic, Chuck? Chuck? I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. I hear that. He was I, obviously sexually abused by Little Richard. There just wasn't, right? a, there wasn't a lot of time for people sitting around. You know, it's like one of those things where I know even when... I was little. We've talked about this a lot where, well, you fall and you hurt yourself. Can you stand up? Well, then stand the fuck up. No one was like going, you know what I mean? You had to pick yourself up. You have to do what you have to do. And that is, that is missing a lot. And that's not the kid's fault. The idea that because people will sit around and listen now, I don't know that it does that much good to sit around and be sympathetic as much as it does to say, okay, that's, that's a bummer. This is how I got through it. Let's move forward. Well, well, and somehow the industry, I'm hoping the recovery industry will get, it will swing a little bit back. I, I just know how to do it. I can tell somebody the truth and they don't feel attacked or unloved or ashamed or like I'm trying to be mean to them. That's an art that's lost completely. Now clients are just indulged and how's your belly button and, you know, how are you feeling today, <laughs> right? How's your belly button? 
yeah, your belly no, barometer. Belly barometer, Mike. He, Mike's never been to rehab. Oh, geez, Maybe Mike. we should. Didn't we have an idea that Mike should check in for a weekend just to feel no, what it's like? Why? Yes, let's do that. I think I'll go that's help a good somebody. idea. I'll go. I'll no, go. I, I think you should group. go I'll, undercover. I'll run a group. I'll run a group for you. No, you're not running you might, a group. You're checking in as a client. <laughs> you might lose some clients if I do. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you here for? <laughs> Oh my God! Can you see Mike? Can you see Mike in a rehab center? Oh my God! Uh, I think it'd be a good way to test is to have him show up and have him have different dope stashed on him and see if people can find it. He wouldn't make it through the intake. He'd just say, "What? What does that matter? Why are you asking me all these questions? (laughs) The fuck is wrong with you? This isn't nothing to do with being a dope fiend." Dude, I did. Uh, I worked Saturday and I did four assessments on Saturday. Oh, God in heaven! And um, it, it took all day, literally all day, from <clears throat> four me, nine and o'clock one in day? the morning till four six o'clock at night. Holy shit! And because they were still loaded, and I'm having to wake them up while they're talking, oh, you know. And you ask God. them things like, "How old were you when you first did heroin?" And then they go. Let's do an intake yep. of Mike. Do you have the intake paperwork on your phone? <laughs> no, I don't have anything. <laughs> I want it, the, the, just off the top of your head. Okay, so Mike, what's the first? What was the first drug you used, and what age were you? Uh, I smoked weed when I was in uh, sixth grade. Yeah, I was eleven. Yeah. So, so how old were you? Sixth grade, you were eleven. He was eleven. Yeah, but I yeah. like to get them to give me the answer so that they <laughs> think and stay awake. You, dude, you think you could get four assessments done in one day if Mike Mart was one of them? <laughs> <laughs> but then we want to know the last time you used it, how much you use when you do use it. Okay, whether you Mike, smoke go, it, go. shoot it, um, stick it in your butt. Or the last uh, time you used, well, I mean, I'm 27 years sober, so it was 27 so years ago the last on time you Christmas. Smoked marijuana. And we have to go through each drug, Mike. Oh, yeah. This could take all night. No, we want to know <laughs> everything. I progressed that way past marijuana, like like within uh, seventh grade. First, just <laughs> started answer taking the acid. questions. When's the last time you used marijuana and how much did you use? Oh, fuck, I don't know. I don't know. How much on a daily basis? I, I mean, no, I used it on a daily basis whenever it was around. Why not? If somebody wanted to smoke some, sure. But it was not. Okay, so it several times never. a week, once a day, several times daily? Several times daily. <laughs> several times okay. daily. Several okay. times and, daily. Okay, okay. Now let's move on to alcohol. What's the first time you had your first drink? How old were you? Oh, yeah, that's when I was 10. <laughs> Oh, I, was, yeah. I got this drunk is, for the first time when I was 10 years old. This is going to take online. 12 hours, I'm yeah. telling you. Oh, my God. And we're going to need to know every time you're arrested. We're going to need to know. <laughs> oh, and shit. For what? And we're going to need to know every treatment center you've been to. And oh, what that's zero. That's you were zero. There, whether you completed them or not. We're going to wow. need to know how your parents... Uh, treated each other how was your relationship between your parents how was was your relationship like with with your parents i want to know if you get along to sibling with your your siblings do a lot of these people just fucking get up and walk out during this (laughs) it it literally they love love talking about themselves this is the problem is that once you get them going well, you know, my sister and me, we get along really good, but she was being a dick the other day, so I told her she was being a dick. And then I asked her for 20 bucks, and she said, I can only give you 10, and I was like, fuck you. And I go, whoa, 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 how old is your sister? That's all I need to know. Uh, Just stop. <laughs> do you want to get through this today, or do you want to be doing this again tomorrow? How did you possibly do four in one day? 
they only take about to do all the, like the cross to do indexes. to do one takes forty five minutes, but it usually takes like two hours. Well, then that's you have just to for document the BPS. It. You know, the then BPS takes about forty five minutes. But then what does a BPS stand for? It's a biopsych social. Bio yeah, that's the only thing I do. What are you talking about? There's talking? there's uh, suicide risk assessment. There's medical. Oh my God. And, Let's uh, do Mike's suicide risk assessment. Let's do Mike's suicide risk assessment. Is that an S is that, wait, is that called an SRA, Chuck? No. Oh, how come? So, <laughs> how come it's not um, called in a the, fucking in, SRA? In the, last, in the last two weeks, have you often or very, have you often, very often, often or seldomly thought about suicide oh yes Seldom. yes i <laughs> <laughs> yes, think about it all the time especially as you get older <laughs> i never take it seriously that's the other I, I like mike it. mart that wants to commit suicide God fuck it, man. i'm gonna just fucking oh, i'm gonna run out in traffic fuck this shit listen i don't believe in god but god spared some intake department by striking mike mart sober on christmas day 27 <laughs> years ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I also want to know if there's a history of mental illness in your family. And if oh so, my God, he's a Cherokee you... Indian. What are you talking about? You haven't even gotten to that yet. Oh well, that's <laughs> that's that's cultural preferences. No, no, there's no mental illness in my family. None. Well, None. I, my I'm dad was an addict. My... my dad was an addict. <laughs> okay, so there's a substance abuse problem for sure. <laughs> And so then we want to know if there's a, any family history of suicide, and I need to know mom's and dad's side, and you've got to know a little something. Were, are, were there any attempts? If there were any attempts, did they require medical attention? If there's suicidal, suicidal oh, ideas, no, 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 no. have you developed a plan? No, or there's did never you just any have suicide. There's never, never or, been any suicide in my family, never. Like, like I just had a guy where he goes, yeah, I tried to kill myself once. And, and I go, okay. And, he, and I said, how? And he said, by hanging. And I said, and what, the rope broke? Oh, or shit, what? you know he what? Goes, he goes, wait, he goes, wait, wait, he goes, Chuck. He, he goes, it was interrupted. And I said, well, then that, that really doesn't count, man, because then I got to do a bunch of other papers. If, was, yeah. <laughs> if you weren't smart enough to be alone. There was an incident when I tried to kill myself, but I don't think I was serious. I was just really fucked up. And I was like, fuck this shit. And I put my head in the oven. First, I got underneath the stove out, out at the desert. You know, I was out of my desert, all alone God. out in the desert. And I blew and blew and blew under there, making sure I blew the pilot light out. And I turned oh on the fucking God. oven, right? I turned the oven on and I stuck my head in there and I passed out. And I woke up, and it was almost like my hair was on fire, man, because it was an electric oven. It wasn't a fucking <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think there's some Polish. Oh, no, that was so, alcohol. So understand, this is what we this is what I used to do every day for 15 years, Mike. All those same questions, unbelievable. And all our brothers and sisters that work in treatment, this this idiocracy is what we're focusing on instead of inspiring helping encouraging supporting people to be sober we got to ask these questions yeah it's I mean, ridiculous you, it, you, it admittedly, on, on, on. you admittedly believe though that this is actually so you can have a history of a person right and um understand them a little Doesn't, more i i, Th I truly believe to be. i truly believe it tells you nothing about the person you oh have to wow be with oh, them, wow. know them you know because they'll tell you anything on any given day. I, I believe that if you gave an addict an intake assessment, like Chuck, you said, when they're loaded, 
it would be one way. If you did that same assessment with them, you know, within 72 hours is what the law was when I was doing it. I don't know if that... They, they 24. Biopsychosocial within 72 hours it used to be, I thought. Right. Now it's within 24 hours. The, the initial assessments, the suicide assessment, and a couple of others have to be done within 24. The BPSD But the biopsychosocial is within 72 hours. And you can do it, you know, on the day when they admit when they're drunk. I did one on my friend John... It was the most ridiculous thing. He's fucking drunk and high, and I'm sitting there trying to... Because, because he admitted it on a Friday, right? And I wanted to be the one that did it. You, know, you mm. follow me, Chuck? Yeah. And, and if I didn't, somebody else is going to do it by Sunday, and some asshole weekend person who doesn't know anything. So I'm doing a bit <laughs> drunk. What are you saying about people that work weekends? <laughs> <laughs> Those asshole weekend people. You know. I, no, good people work on the weekends. I'm, you know, <laughs> no, I'm telling you, I'm not going to say, but a particular woman I work with who I think is one of the greatest KDAC counselors who ever lived, loved working weekends because you don't have to do anything. You do six groups. They're all 30 minute groups, right? At Los Encinas. So weekends, she would always volunteer. Because there's no one else there, no bullshit. No traffic not back much, and forth to work. No, no traffic back and forth to work. No, good people work on the weekends. It's just bullshit what goes on on the weekends. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I think nowadays, I think on Allo Saturdays, it's a regular schedule. Uh, yeah. I think Sunday is probably lesser. You know what? You know what? The best, I like to catch them, and we like to catch them when they come in the following day. So there's <clears> some semblance of. Um, of sanity. of sanity, but they're also not three days in where they're usually so medicated that Once again, right, everything's right, right. fine and they don't feel bad. But so you on any given day, you'll get different answers. That's why I don't think it's, it's appropriate that you do that when somebody's intoxicated, but nobody listens to me at the state or at Jayco or at the insurance company. Mm -hmm. There's just these archaic dumb rules that everybody says you have to follow and they make no sense no i think it would be great to do it at about a week when they're done with detox and many people i knew were going to kill themselves who did there was nothing i could do about it because the questions you have they're never going to answer correctly when they really want to kill themselves well they know not to say it right exactly if you want to do it you know not to say it it's not right. an attention grab so so, so, but yet we all think we're safe from suicide, though suicide is the leading cause of death of white males in the United States between the ages of 36 and 54. Somehow these assessment tools that all clinicians have are just working so great <laughs> that it's Wait. the leading cause of death of white males between the ages of 36 and 54. But if you put them on a contract, then they can't do it <laughs> because they signed <laughs> they yeah. signed a piece of paper saying they would not harm themselves. Now we're safe. No, I believe that, and this is what Jared and I were talking about before while I was late. The KDAC counselors have just been so devalued in the new insurance system. It's crazy. It's not fair. They're the only ones. you want. Here's the thing. If it's your child that's a drug addict and you think they're going to die of drugs, do you want them talking to me and Chuck, who are KDAC counselors, or an MFT, a marriage and family therapist who's not an addict? Which one do you want the most important person in your life who you think is going to die of drugs to fucking talk to?
because I guarantee you many insurance company vice presidents have contacted me wanting me to talk to their loved ones. They don't call fucking MFTs that they mandate I have running the groups and do the interactions and the one-on-ones with. When their kids are on drugs, who do you think they fucking call? Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters? Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, they call you, of course. But it, I'm exaggerating. It was one guy that's the vice president of some healthcare but, company. But, it, but, but that's but not health the insurance point. Company. But who did he call? He didn't call some fucking MFT. You know, you don't want to call, you know, it seems like, uh, it only makes sense, man. If, if I want to learn how to fish, I'm going to talk to somebody who's been fishing for a while. No, it, you can it, talk to somebody that just went to fishing school. <laughs> <laughs> now I've never actually fished, but I've read this. Now the, you know, that's why I, I, I like, I like my therapists that are, that are addicts. I, I like them the best, but I also well, here's I've seen thing. a lot of people that aren't even certificated save people's lives. So well, but I'm I, sure let Mike me, Martin let's, said, let's Mike dig Martin into said. the weeds. Let's dig into the weeds. So okay. I've had, and I was one of the leading proponent, you know, like trying to promote my people and get my people to go back to school. I've told many people in the mid 2000s, don't go to KDOC school. It's a waste of money. Your, 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 your revenue that you're going to generate is minimal. Go get your MFT. So these are of sober addicts, right, mm -hmm. that went and got their MFTs. MFT school and that whole and PsyD and that whole psych world does something to addicts. They're not as, they're, they don't see addiction as clearly. They start, to, they start to believe the mythology about it. Right. Mm. Meaning I, I've just constantly been trying to like say the reason why I took drugs, though, it may be many reasons. The, a major, major part of why I took drugs and ruined my life with drugs was how good they made you feel. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't to get away from my childhood trauma or sexual abuse or that I didn't make the varsity team or that my dad killed himself. Those were contributing factors and they were motivators for sure. But if it would have been a really bad experience, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> right. You, right. you said earlier that it was because you were short. <laughs> you were a short basketball <laughs> you know, player. So. But, I'm, but I'm telling you, those are contributors. But the driving force of drugs is how good they feel. Right. And that's 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 and that's genetics. That's genetics. You're gene they genetically yeah. fit with you. Because yeah. my sister, who's not an addict, she was she had some some surgery and she was on opiates and and uh, she was like, "Oh, Bobby, I don't like the way this makes me feel. I don't know how you could like feeling like this." I go, Jane, take a little more. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. You're not taking enough. enough. Obviously, you're missing. No, but pe normal people are non-genetically predisposed to uh, uh, opioid addiction. Don't like the feeling. They no, feel out of control. Right. They feel They don't sleepy. like it as much, for sure. So this idea that that's so undervalued nowadays in the insurance-driven idiocracy, right? <laughs> you know, that that's how oh, yeah. good drugs make drug addicts feel. And that's what that's the conversation that ha happens so often around our place is that I'll get to talking to them, and I was, it's the same thing. And it, <clears throat> if the first time you did dope, it felt like the last time you did it, you wouldn't have done it a second time. It's that upfront sale of how amazing all these different chemicals are and how amazing the different trips and the different worlds and the different feels are at first. 
But if it felt like the end, if it felt like nothing, five years if in, it felt like nothing, you wouldn't do it a second yeah. time. I I remember trying to kill myself with dope in like a couple of years before I stopped, like in 1994. I literally put so much dope in a in a syringe that it was mud. You could see like it looked like dirt, <laughs> in there, right? It was like almost a gram of dope in one syringe, and it was all the way to the end. I plunged that whole fucking thing, and I thought I missed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was like, then it then it slowly started to come on, and then I was unconscious for like four hours, and then I woke up. So, so yeah, that was not as great as that first time Top Jimmy shot me up. I was like, whoa, Nelly, here we go. Oh God, this is as good as I read about. Yep. Holy moly. This is what I've been looking for. This is this what, is what, I, what I, this So is then what how about, then, then what does the sexual trauma lead to? Does the sexual trauma, do you believe it leads to like sexual promiscuity or does it uh, avoidance of it sex? It leads to or? attachment disorder. It leads to attachment disorder and that's trust and that's all the things that you're trying to, to learn through AA or psychotherapy or both or religion. It's like how how to trust, how to love, how to allow yourself to be loved. All those things are shattered with childhood sexual abuse, abuse in general. Right. And that's right? what, what Mike was saying, that's funny because a lot, a lot of people, they, they think they make that direct association of being sexually promiscuous or, or hyperactive with your sexuality. And a lot of people go into a non-sexual mode. Yeah, asexual. Like the, yeah. Uh, drugs make you asexual for sure. Yeah, so lack of sex. intimacy and to intimacy problems. Uh, I just always say, no matter how much somebody loves me, I couldn't feel loved. Yeah. No matter how much I have all the reasons to believe they love me. I just don't feel it. That's a horrible state of existence to not yeah. be able to love and be loved. Yeah, right. That's, that's, that's what abuse does. That's way more destructive in my opinion over the long haul than being a heroin addict. Right, because you Heroin end up not not loving yourself, which is yeah, it's just like well, that blabber. empty feeling. Like I always say, you know, Gloria used to make you make me um, be grateful, right? So one of the most striking things when I finally got sober in '96 was from like as long as I can remember, back when I was a teenager, I just hated that twenty minutes before you fall asleep. I hate it. I have the TV on. I have songs about I sleep with the TV on so I don't feel so alone. That I hated being alone in my bed. I have another song called I Get So Scared that says the bed seems so big and I seem so small. I specifically remember feeling that way when I was like 11 years old. Like hmm. scared, right? Unsafe. So... When I was about a year sober, I realized, like, I don't feel that way anymore, ever. I just work, and I go to AA, and I come home, and I maybe be intimate with my girlfriend and watch some TV, and I fall asleep with, a, with no worry. Yeah. That's what people are looking for. That's why they come to us. Not for all this bullshit that this, the insurance company thinks. They want to be able to be comfortable in their own skin. How, how do, uh, is there any, do you think that there's any chance that there will ever be a non, 
insurance regulated model that would be affordable and sustainable. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to build it, but it's you, you know, put all my energies towards having like a 50 bed facility that's five grand a month and really try to create change in people's lives and sit there and argue with them about God and bullshit. I'm just not going there. Or, or, with, or their feelings or what a victim they are. You just like, so this generation is not, it doesn't fit that. But I mean, the, the bottom line is you get, you, you work to get them out of that whole, uh, it's all about me, me, me stage, right? Yeah. yeah. I, can, uh, I can tell you, one of the people I told that to now owns his own rehab. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think, I don't think hobos feel sorry for themselves. So I don't hobos. think they can be hobos because they're, they're a proud group. Hobos are free. Uh, and they're, hobos they're, love being free. Yeah. Yeah. These, these, these people aren't cut out to be hobos. I, I am going to. not even fault, good enough. I don't fault this generation. I fault this society. And that's why my book, I'm going to promote it again. There's something terribly wrong with us coming yep. at you in the fall. Nice. It's Is it gonna, you and Evan? Yeah, me and Evan. It's just fucking brutal. Nice. I, I like some of it. I just like, oh my god, because I imagine some mother whose son is a heroin addict reading this. It's just like, oh my god. I don't want to blame. I don't believe in any blame of anybody. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. A woman named Allie, my Elvis's childhood friend's uh, 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 mom, I heard her say that one time to some kids. Uh, at a New Year's party at her house. Like, all the kids were upset, and they were, you know, pouting, and you get nine of them together, and it's all just nine five-year-olds, you know? And she just said, you get what you get, and you don't get upset. And I was like, dude, those are words American parents need to hear, American kids, teenagers, young adults, addicts need to hear it. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. That, yeah. that idea that because you were abused or neglected, which a lot of these kids weren't neglected, they were just overly nourished or whatever, messed <laughs> and whatever it's called, that somehow that just gives you carte blanche to feel sorry for yourself and do nothing with your life. When did that become institutionalized, Chuck? I don't know, because, you know, when I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about what you're saying, I mean, that's just kind of the same uh, reasoning as going from being affluent and having money to not having money is gives you PTSD when really all it did was teach you coping skills. Had you had, you know, you had to, you had to adjust, you had to move on. And it's not like you went from, um, from ha losing your whole family. Like everyone died all at once and you were an orphan and thrown into some darkness in like Siberia or something. It was just an adaptation. And the reason we see, you know, most events as trauma as opposed to just learning experiences, I think a lot of it's the angle we take. I'm, I, I but like my what dad, I heard from but, but even before we became broke, my dad used to say, as long as I can remember when I was seven or eight years old, you, you, Bobby, you, th this is my house. You live here because mm -hmm. you're my son. I remember him saying to that to my sisters, if you don't like living here, you can go live somewhere else. And that's where the hobo thing came. And Bobby, you can go be a hobo if you want. Right. And it wasn't like he was mad about it. He was like, life is up to you. I'm giving you every opportunity in life, more than most get. And if you make nothing of it, that's on you. Go be a hobo. Somehow, America changed into excuses and blame and being a victim and poor you and you just live here. 
because you're you're incapable of feeding yourself or getting out on your own. Like, and and some of it's true. You can't, you can't, uh, me and Christy were talking about, okay, all the people that have lost their job, it's so sad and tragic, but if you make $20 an hour and live in Los Angeles, I don't see how you can have a place to live. $20 well, an hour is a good job anywhere in America, except for Los Angeles, New York, Boston, Chicago, Miami, Seattle. You can't live anywhere making $3,200 a month. How could right, I, you? I know, but the, it, it's funny because when, you know, when you're doing the intakes and people were cashiers at Walmart last year in um, Alabama and they were making $12 an hour. They had You could live there for $12 an hour. Yeah. For sure. <clears throat> but you can't live on $20 an hour in L.A., I can't live in L.A. You know what I mean? So part of it is, yeah, they're going to have to live here. So help them live in Arizona or New Mexico or go find some find some hamlet and that appreciates you and bring yourself to that and go meet the moment. But but, uh, you know, for the most part, we've got to change how we view ourselves as parents. You're not a failure if your kid can't make it in L.A. It's not your fault. It's a tough town to make it in. They should probably move somewhere else. Maybe you should suggest, maybe being a good parent is suggesting they move to Nebraska or Elijah moved to Baltimore, my older son. Hmm. Like, that was great. You when, know how much his rent was? $265 a month for a beautiful <laughs> house, <laughs> right, with two roommates, and they all had each floor. $265. What can you get in LA for $265 a month? Last time Nothing. I checked. I've been looking in Vietnam. You can get like really awesome places, man, in Vietnam. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, man. A lot of well, go to, go to expat.com. So there, we'll leave it with that. Mike's probably moving to Vietnam and Looking we'll beautiful still just do the podcast via the Zoom. How about the fact that Zoom is going to be the new thing? I don't think people are going to go back to work. <laughs> yeah, they're they just going to Zoom. Yeah, they are. I'm recording a lot of things are going to change with Alexis next week down in, uh, and down in, uh, face to face. Yeah. Not zooming. No, we're doing the book. Oh, okay. Oh, right. That's something different. All right. Well, you guys, it's a quarter to nine. I'm going to go watch more news and see if my television commercials all comes on. All right. Don't die. See you later. later. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.